first episode of So We Heard, an informal coffee break chat series under the Can You Hear Us podcast. I'm your host Ragini, assistant producer on Can You Hear Us. Monica and Madeira started the Can You Hear Us podcast when they were master students at LSE. They wanted to create a safe space for BiWalk to share their experiences. The podcast has grown leaps from this initial idea, while the essence remains intact. So We Heard, like our parent series, is a space for BiWalk to share their narratives. We wanted to create a space where we could discuss and understand anything related to international development without the pressure of having to sound intelligent while doing it. Today I'm talking to Dana, our newest team member. Hi Dana. Hi. The So We Heard team acknowledges that we do not represent all women or femmes of color and we can only speak from our experiences and perspectives. But we strive to include all women and femmes of color in our conversation. We are always open to feedback from our listeners. Special thanks to the LSE Department of International Development and the LSE Volunteer Center for all their support in not only the production and promotion of this month's episode but also with expanding our team. We would not be able to reach all of you if it wasn't for their platform. Thank you LSE. And without further ado, Dana, would you like to introduce yourself? Yeah, sure. So, hi. My name is Dana and I'm a lead researcher at Can You Hear Us? I'm from Saudi Arabia and I'm currently in my second year at LSE where I study social policy pretty much. Nice. And I found out about, you know, Can You Hear Us and I thought it was a great team to join because, you know, I heard about how it creates such an empowering space. Mm-hmm. Um you know, for women in general, but specifically women excluded from mainstream conversations. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And I just thought, you know, studying social policy, being, you know, a woman that isn't necessarily in the mainstream media, I'd mm-hmm. love to share my opinions as well. Welcome to the team, Dana. And I'm so excited to kick off So We Heard with you, because like you said, we're all from multidisciplinary, interdisciplinary backgrounds. And it would be, this is a great space to just kind of put all our thoughts together and see what we come up with so let's get into our topic for today dana sent over a chapter from the book the critique of commodification contours of a post capitalist society by christoph hermann so right off the bat i just want to say i already loved our topic before i even read this chapter just based off of the name so before we get into the chapter a little bit more Dana, do you want to talk about why you wanted to discuss this topic or this chapter in particular? Yeah, sure. So, I just feel like, you know, growing up, I always had these ideas and views and I never found a way to actually express them. Mm-hmm. Um even though I loved reading, I genuinely could not find words that captured what I was trying to say yeah. and I felt like when I came across the notion of commodification, it spoke to that part of me. Yeah. It just highlighted my views of, you know, the capitalist system being designed mm-hmm. to keep people in a state of working, you know, creating this state of disposable workers. Mm-hmm. And I just felt like this chapter really captures the different ways that you can critique this notion. For sure. I mean, I think commodification is a term that all of us hear all around us, but this chapter traced its history and the history of its usage so well. Yeah, that definitely helped me re-examine the way I use the term for sure. Um, did did any did anything like that ever happen with you, Dana? Because I mean, I remember at least when I was an undergrad, there were readings that I would do that would literally change my life because I was obviously going in just to prepare for a for a seminar and be able to answer a couple of questions. But like once I would finish reading it, I'd be like, oh my god! Like my whole worldview had shifted by the end of it. 
honestly, yeah, social policy is so interdisciplinary where, you know, almost every week I feel like I'm exposed to a completely different dimension of the world. Yeah. It's just, you know, it's fascinating, but then it's also like very confusing at times. Yeah, for sure. Okay, so before we discuss the chapter a little bit more, do you want to give us a slight introduction for our listeners who may have no idea what we're talking about? Yeah, sure. So the chapter talks about just commodification in the modern modern sense, and it critiques it following the dimensions of morality, but also the material. Mm-hmm. I also think it's really interesting that it talks about the intellectual roots of commodification and, you know, how the term came out to be. Is yes. just so. But I do feel like for someone that probably hasn't read the chapter, the entire chapter and some parts of the book are framed using a neo-Marxist theory. So that's the lens, Mm -hmm. meaning that it's very, very critical of the capitalist system and class cleavages. Mm -hmm. And so, you know, I just feel like regardless of whether whether you agree with it or not, you know, it's essential to just have this worldview and see all these different critiques emerging around us. So, you know, I don't necessarily agree with every single word, but, you know, just having this interaction with this literature helps you mm-hmm. in a way. Yeah. What I really enjoyed about reading the chapter was, like you said, I may not agree with every part of it, but there were certain things that I needed to read for sure. Just because I think it's like the conversation around capitalism, commodification even, it's become so oversimplified, but it's almost like, oh, capitalism is the root of all evil. It's not that simple. There is layers to it. So, yeah, I think a chapter like this is really great in that sense where it kind of presents a whole picture to you and which which is why you might not always agree with every aspect of it. Thank you so much for sharing this chapter with us. There's definitely a lot to unpack. So, I wanted to talk a little more about the commodification of women's labor. As the chapter mentions, the moralist critique of commodification focuses on the deterioration of the moral fabric of society. In the context of women's labor, the chapter gives us the example of prostitution and paid surrogacy. But it also mentions that, at the same time, commodifying their labor allows women to break free from the shackles of patriarchy by not being confined to the private sphere. Dana, how do you feel about the debate surrounding the commodification of women in formal economies, especially? Well, you know, I'd have to say that the entire structure or nature of modern neoliberal economies, sorry, need a degree of commodification to function. It's just how they came out and how they came to be. Yeah. And so, you know, that is necessary for those purposes. But, you know, when you apply a gender dimension, you can see that the experiences of women are very, very different. Mm -hmm. For instance, you know, recent literature talks about, well, women playing this dual role in the economy. Mm -hmm you know, so directly participating in the workforce, workforce, sorry, but then also having this indirect role of reproductive labor. So even the women that stay at home, you know, contribute to the economy actively. Yeah. And so, yeah, I just think that that is so important to note because these structures and these gender roles directly frame policies. Yeah. And yeah, and to some extent, when these frame policies, these policies reinforce the gender roles, and that kind of hinders mm-hmm. the development mm-hmm. of an entire gender, an entire group of people. It's a vicious and, cycle, almost. Yeah, pretty much. And, you know, it is historically prominent. So time and time again, women have been excluded from, 
achieving financial freedom as a result of that. Yeah. You know, women are statistically paid less. And even in situations where women are compensated financially, it's mm-hmm. expected that they would carry the care burden as well mm-hmm. at home. I think looking at commodification through a gender lens can be especially useful because it kind of forces us to reevaluate the public sphere altogether. Like like you said, even when women do earn, they're still expected to take care of the private sphere. And I'm thinking of this whole behind every successful man is a woman thing. And the it basically says that it's it's highlighting the concept of unpaid emotional labor. But then again, it's recognizing women's labor only in relation to the productive capacity of men and like men's labor. So yeah, you made a very good point about how like it's a, it's a bit of a vicious circle. You know, building on what you're saying and, you know, women in relation to men. I think it was Jane Lewis that was a scholar actually at LSE that critiqued this, you know, so-called the male breadwinner model, Mm -hmm. where basically, you know, entire policies, you know, social policy, social protection, all that was tailored to having a male breadwinner in the household. Mm -hmm. And, you know, that created the female uh, homemaker typology pretty much. Mm -hmm. And yeah, so basically... I feel like even that reinforces this nuclear family notion. Yeah. And yeah, again, it constrains women to the household and it keeps them dependent on, you know, men. But then, you know, in another kind of scholar's words, I think it was Amartya Sen that said, you know, you have to remove unfreedoms to mm-hmm. achieve development. Mm-hmm. And so basically in this sense, you know, if the unfreedom is financial compensation or the lack thereof, then, you know, there's this discrepancy within the gender in itself. And it, again, kind of reshaped the role of women in society. Yeah, I think like how you mentioned, basically boxing things into binaries. Um, is, so if it's the private sphere exists in binary to the public sphere, women's labor exists in binary to men's labor. So if, if, we're, work, if we're functioning primarily in binaries, I don't know how, like, and then within those binaries, we're commodifying women's labor. It is, it is likely that their the freedom that they get from that commodification will be within that binary. So although they will have financial freedom and they will have more, like through their commodified labor, they will have slightly more liberty to kind of choose how they spend their money. But then again, if we're functioning in binaries, it's going to come back to, well, you still have to function within this binary. So you might be financially independent, but according to the binary, you are responsible to, for the private sphere and to take care of the home. So yeah, I think it's it's not, it's complicated. It's complicated for sure. But um, again, once again, thank you so much for sharing this chapter with us. And yeah, I think this has been a very interesting discussion for anyone who wants to read the chapter. It is the first chapter in the critique of commodification. Correct me if I'm wrong, Dana, but is this book available in the LSE library? You know, I think you can access it digitally as well. Okay. So, great. It is available digitally, or if you do have access to LSE's library, you should be able to find it on there. And thank you so much for your time, Dana. And thank you so much to our listeners for tuning in to the first episode of So We Heard. We hope you enjoyed our new show, and we will be back with Sanjana, our social media head, for the next episode. 
I'm your host Ragini signing off and going to overhear some interesting conversations to bring back for you. See you next time. This episode was produced by Ragini Puri. We would like to thank our guest Dana, lead researcher on Can You Hear Us. Our music is provided by Epidemic Sound. So we heard is a coffee break chat series under the Can You Hear Us podcast. Can You Hear Us is a podcast highlighting the experiences of Biwalk in international development. It was founded by LSE alumni Monica Abad Yang and Madira Dennison. We would also like to thank the LSE Department of International Development for its support. especially the LSE ID communications and event manager Ms Deepa Patel and its officer Anna Dalton for all their help in promoting and distributing the episodes.